Hello, this is Dr. Ed Hill, host of This Week in the Word. If you remember, in our last episode, we started a new series, Walking with Christ Through the Gospel of Mark. We're continuing today in Mark chapter 2. So turn in the Bible to Mark, the Gospel of Mark, and you will find that as the second gospel in the Bible, uh, toward the end of the Bible. And let's go to Mark chapter 2. So it's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. So it's the second gospel, Mark chapter 2. And again, he entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. We're talking today about when Jesus is in the house. Good things happen when Jesus is in the house. And we know from what we read at the end of Mark chapter 1 that Christ, after freeing many from demon possession, freeing people from disease, even cleansing a leper, completely restoring him to health, he went... um, Actually, that was part of his preaching tour, but he had left Capernaum and did a preaching tour about the good news that he had come to save mankind. The kingdom of God was present. So here we see that he's back in Capernaum, which he has set up basically as his headquarters on the Sea of Galilee. So again, he's in Capernaum, and pretty soon... It says, uh, after some days, it was noise that he was in the house. Verse 2, And straightway many were gathered together, insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. So the whole area converges on this house. The house is not only filled Access to the house is filled. Nobody else can get in or out. Now, why were all of these people coming? Well, so many had been healed. So many had been freed from demonic possession. And, of course, probably by now the story of the, the healing of the man that had leprosy had been noised everywhere. So everybody comes, and they bring everybody they know that needs Jesus' help. Verse 3, And they come unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. So here comes someone who cannot walk, and he's being carried, um, if you will, on a stretcher of some type by four others. And these must have been family members or very good friends, but people that cared about him and wanted him to come to Jesus. Sometimes, friends, think about this spiritually speaking, People will come to Jesus, but God uses us to help them get there. Well, this man is brought. Verse 4, And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was. And when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. Have a little fun right here in verse 4. Once again, the media turns people away from Jesus. <laughs> That's not what this is about. It just means that there were so many 
so many people around the house that they had to climb on top of the flat roof, remove some tiles, and lower this man, uh, I guess using cords or ropes, lower him right in front of Jesus. That must have been really a neat sight. Here's the Lord teaching the word, and <laughs> the roof is removed, and this guy is lowered right in front of the Lord. Wow. So, verse 5, when Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now notice that he didn't comment on the faith of the, the man who needed his help, but he commented on the faith of those that brought him to Jesus. That's pretty neat. And But Jesus looks at him, and instead of saying what we would expect him to say, like, um, I'm healing you, get up and go home, he says instead... He looks at him and he says, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. Now, I don't want to read too much into that, but it, it may be that he had been done something or been living in a way that led to the condition he was in. Uh, that's not to say that everybody in that condition, that's the reason, but maybe in his case it was. But anyway, whatever Jesus tells him, your sins are forgiven. Verse 6. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there. Now these were religious professionals, and they loved the Word of God. They knew the Word of God, frontwards and backwards. But there were certain of the scribes sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. They didn't say anything, but they were thinking. And, and I believe sincerely, why doth this man thus speak blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God only? So th they were deeply agitated about this. Verse 8, And immediately when Jesus perceived in his spirit that they so reasoned within him themselves, he said unto them, Why reason ye these things in your hearts? Whether is it easier to say to the sick of the palsy, Thy sins be forgiven thee? or to say, Arise, and take up thy bed, and walk. But that ye may know that the Son of Man, talking about himself, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, Arise, and take up thy bed, and go thy way into thine house. And immediately, he arose, took up the bed, and went forth before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We never saw it on this fashion. Now here was a miracle performed that everyone saw it. No one could deny it. And it basically, if you think of it this way, because Jesus, he says, which is easier, for me to forgive his sins or tell him, that he's healed. So he said, but I want you to know that the Son of Man, um, well, let's see, how does he put that there? Uh, let's see, verse 10, that, but that ye may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. So he, he healed him in order to prove that. Now, friends, for people that say, well, Jesus never claimed to be God, that's just wrong. Right here, 
is point blank. It's blatant. So since he was able to heal him and he told him his sins were forgiven, the logical thing would be this is God. But that's not how the scribes saw it, as, as we'll see in a moment. But this blew everybody away. It was an undeniable miracle, and it was a confirmation that Jesus Christ, the perfect man, the perfect God, fully God, fully man, God come in human form, was God. And he was present right there in Capernaum. Verse 13, And he went forth again by the seaside, and all the multitude resorted, resorted unto him, and he taught them. And as he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting at the receipt of custom, and said unto him, Follow me. And he arose and followed him. Now, Levi, we know that's the other name of Matthew in the gospel, so he actually ended up later. He not only was a disciple, an apostle, but he ended up writing the gospel of Matthew. He worked for the Roman IRS. The Roman government was occupying the nation of Israel. Any Jewish person who helped the Romans was hated. Levi, Matthew, was hated. Not only because he worked for the Romans, but he collected their taxes. If you will, he worked for the Roman IRS. And uh, no doubt he cheated people in the process. In other words, if, if he could collect the tax due to Rome, anything above that he could collect, he could keep. And no doubt that was rampant and he was involved in that probably. But Jesus saw something. He saw a future for Matthew, for Levi, that, that he did not see. And he called him to follow him. And Matthew, Levi, followed Jesus and uh, apparently, in verse 15, they went home to Levi or Matthew's home. And it came to pass that as Jesus sat at meat in his house, many publicans, that would be like tax collectors and collaborators like Matthew and Levi, or, or Levi rather was, many publicans and sinners also sat together with Jesus and his disciples, for there were many, and they followed him. In other words, Matthew had influence on those around him, and they said, well, if you're going to follow Jesus, we're going with you. So it's sort of like that old Hank Williams Jr. song, All My Rowdy Friends Are Coming Over Tonight, all right? Jesus is sitting here with his disciples, and I had a, a mental image this week earlier when I was reading this chapter over and over devotionally, but also to prepare for this, that Jesus Christ loves people so much that not only did, I'm sure, he teach them while he was there, but as maybe they shared a story or something funny that had happened to them or shared about their life and their family, Jesus smiled and he listened and he found, found delight or humor in, in being with them. It, they were having a good time. I'm going to tell you something, friends. If those of us who know Jesus Christ are going to influence others and win them to Christ. We're not going to do it by uh, having a sad face all the time and, and acting like a bunch of monks in a monastery. That's okay if you're a monk in a monastery, but we're not that. We are ambassadors for Christ, and I believe the Lord was the most approachable, kind person, somebody that you would want to be your friend. 
And how do I know that? Because these publicans and sinners, if he was like the religious types up in Jerusalem, around the temple, always upset about something, they wouldn't want to be around Jesus. They love being around Jesus. Well, this burnt up the religious people. It probably even bothered the disciples, to tell you the truth. <laughs> and uh, God has been teaching me over the years about this. There, there are times in a, like a, uh, a work-type setting or, or business setting where I'm with other people, and uh, those people are not churchgoers. They're, they're not all professing Christians, so just put it like that. And they may be drinking. I don't drink at all. Uh, Barbara and I have been in business-type settings where we commented each other. We think we were the only person out of hundreds in a room that, that weren't drinking. You know, if you drink, that's between you and the Lord. We could discuss that sometime, but it's just something I don't do. But anyway, the point is, if I'm going to be around people and influence them for Christ, I can't be telling them, you can't drink around me. You know, uh, now in my home, that's different, but I'm just talking about out in the world. And uh, so, so, you know, if we're going to win people to Christ, we can't be telling them everything they can't do because they're lost. <laughs> they, they need Christ, and they need to be won to Christ by people who like them and love them and care about them. So all of these publicans and sinners enjoyed being around Jesus not to say that he approved of everything they did or said, but he had a, a higher goal, that is to bring them to himself. So anyway, don't get all tied up in your religion where you're a real pill and non-Christians don't ever want to be around you, okay? Loosen up, you know, it's like that uh, famous movie line, lighten up, Francis. You know, don't, don't be like, um, oh, anyway, you get it. So let's move on. All right, so... They're all there. They're having a good time. Uh, they're beginning to see who Jesus Christ really is. And uh, so there's just a bunch of them. But verse 16, uh, it never fails. It, the religious folks, and I've done this, I'm sure, but we shouldn't do it. Verse 16, and when the, when the scribes and Pharisees saw him eat with publicans and sinners, they said unto his disciples, How is it that he eateth and drinketh with publicans and sinners? <laughs> when Jesus heard it, he saith unto them, They that are whole have no need of the physician, but they that are sick. I came not to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. And I think these guys were so wrapped up in their religiosity and in themselves that they said, Okay, good, good point, Jesus. Go for it. And what they should have done is, is realize, hey, we're all publicans and sinners, not just the publicans and sinners. I mean, that's what Jesus is really aiming at here, but I'm sure it went right over their heads. And uh, so anyway, it's still true. You know, you don't go to the doctor unless you're sick, right? So only, only the people who know they're sick know they need a doctor. Well, the Pharisees and scribes didn't know yet that they were sick, but the publicans and sinners did. So anyway, Jesus, Jesus sets the frame there for that. All right, verse 18. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees, so here's, here's people who are, were still, had been or still following John the Baptist, and of the Pharisees, who, who were the religious, Bible-believing conservatives of that day. Nothing wrong with being a 
a Bible-believing conservative, but they were letting all of their little rules get in the way of their relationship to Christ. They missed Christ at this point. And the disciples of John and of the Pharisees used to fast, and they, they come and say unto him, Why do the disciples of John and of the Pharisees fast, but thy disciples fast not? And Jesus said unto them, Can the children of the bride chamber fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. I mean, like, think about it like this. If you're at a wedding, a wedding celebration, are people fasting there? No, man, they're feasting. They're having a great time. They're celebrating. How ridiculous a question that was that they asked of the Lord. But again, they were just trying to check off their religious boxes. And the, the disciples weren't quite, um, and the Lord were not quite fitting into all of those boxes. Verse 20. But the days will come when the bridegroom shall be taken away from them, and then shall they fast in those days. I believe the most obvious time this happened was when the Lord was crucified and was buried. And then, of course, fasting has been a part of the church uh, since that time. So they're just basically saying, hey, why why aren't your disciples walking around sad all the time like we do so everybody sees how sad and righteous we are. And Jesus just said, because the bridegroom is present. Now, here's a neat thing. Israel was supposed to be looking for God to come, the bridegroom. Israel was like the wife. God was like the bridegroom. And Jesus is the bridegroom. Jesus has come to Israel to save them and and perform the marriage they missed him. And I think he was even alluding to that right here as well. But they completely missed him. Verse 21. No man also soweth a piece of new cloth on an old garment, else the new piece that filled it up taketh away from the old, and the rent is made worse. And no man putteth new wine into old bottles, else the new wine doth burst the bottles, and the wine is spilled, and the bottles will be marred. But new wine must be put into new bottles. So the Pharisees and the disciples of John, in their orientation in life, were looking backwards. Jesus, and pretty soon the disciples and Christians, we don't live our life looking backwards. We look forward to the new things that Jesus Christ has created the church, and not uh, not rules, but a relationship with him. Well, they're not done. Verse 23. I don't know if you've ever been around somebody who, who believed that they were a Christian, and, and maybe they even were or are, but they're all tied up in rules. If you've ever been around somebody like that, it can get intense. Well, here you go. Verse uh, 23, And it came to pass that he went through the cornfields on the Sabbath day, and his disciples began as they went to pluck the ears of corn. And the Pharisees said unto him, Behold, why do they on the Sabbath day that which is not lawful? In other words, they were, they were saying that these guys are out working, harvesting. Well, they, they were hungry, and they were eating something off of those uh, 
those heads of grain there. Verse 25, And he said unto them, Have ye never read what David did when he had need and was in hunger, he and they that were with him? How he went into the house of God in the days of Abiathar the high priest, and did eat the showbread, which is not lawful to eat, but for the priest, and gave also to them which were with him. And he said unto them, The Sabbath was made for man, and not man for the Sabbath. Therefore, the Son of Man, talking about himself, therefore the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. He alludes back here to King David. Well, Jesus Christ is the greater son of the great King David. Jesus and his disciples were not doing anything wrong. And he makes the point here that the Sabbath, that these Pharisees were so intent on guarding and keeping, and they made it, instead of a day of rest and worship, they made it a day of work, trying to keep all these rules that they invented. In Jesus says, listen, the Sabbath was made for man, in other words, for the benefit of man, so he can rest and worship God. The Sabbath was not made so man would have more work to do on the Sabbath with rules to keep uh, that makes the Sabbath a drudgery. So he states again here in verse 28 that he is, in fact, God. Therefore, the Son of Man is Lord also of the Sabbath. Let me put it in, in my terms. I think I have this right. It's sort of, it's like Jesus is saying, hey, I'm God, and if I say they can do that, it's okay. Wow, what a claim to Godhood right here. I hope that as we're walking with Christ through the Gospel of Mark, you are seeing Jesus, perhaps some of you, in a new way for the first time, and for many of us, hopefully, in a fresh way. Thank you for listening in today. Tell others about the podcast. It's free to listen to. It's www.dredhill.podbean.com. And remember, in that address, there's no period after the DR. So it's just dr. E-D-H-I-L-L dot podbean dot com. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on the next one. God bless. <laughs>